are entering the Freedom Hut. Jussie Smollett indicted on 16 felony counts for making up that whole hoax hate crime situation. Bring you up to speed on that. And also the Democrats vote on a ridiculous and completely superfluous resolution against all kinds of hate. I thought they just were opposed to anti-Semitism. Could we focus on that this week? Apparently not. And also Paul Manafort sentenced to about four years in federal prison. Libs say it's not enough because they're always out to destroy him. We got that and more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Do you think that Ilhan Omar understands why her comments were problematic? I don't think that um, maybe it was intended in any anti-Semitic way. Uh, I think it's just part of a learning process that we have as as a country, frankly. Um, Ilhan Omar is a refugee from Somalia. Um, She comes from a different culture. She has things to learn. Uh, This controversy over anti-Semitic or not has really allowed us to cover over and paper over, I think, some uh, otherwise legitimate questions that are fair to be raised. I want to tell you that Ilhan Omar, Congresswoman, um, is under tremendous attack, death threats. Um, I think maybe she needs some security. And why? Because I think, in part, the Republicans and the media have blown this up to be much more than it is. You know, I'm sure uh, many people in their freshman term have said things they regret. She has apologized. She's accepted responsibility. It's now time to move on. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Did you did you just get convinced by all those libs running to Ilhan Omar's defense? I'm going to guess no. You are not, in fact, convinced that they are taking this issue seriously, that Ilhan Omar, that was, that was pretty astonishing. They, they think that she doesn't really understand fully what she says. Here, let, let's just separate that one out for a second. That was one of my favorite sort of defenses of this or or efforts to mitigate the damage from her anti-Semitism. Here is Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, third in line for the presidency. I'm not going to help you or me sleep at night to know that, but that's the truth. Here's what she said about Omar. Uh, the incident that happened was, uh, I don't think our colleague is anti-Semitic. I think she has a different experience in the use of words, doesn't understand that some of them are fraught with meaning that she what didn't realize, but nonetheless, that we had to address. I mean, Pelosi kind of just went the foreigner, you know, don't really speak English so good direction with that. That's what she just did. Can you imagine if a Republican or anybody who wasn't a Democrat running cover for Ilhan Omar was like, you know, she's not so good with the word stuff. Speaks English just fine. She understands exactly what she was saying. She keeps repeating it. This wasn't like she uh, didn't understand some subtle meaning of this. She knows enough to go after Barack Obama. Says the hope and change offered by Obama was a mirage. So she's she knows enough to uh, to bring the heat to Obama. I, I think she knew exactly what she was saying. But Democrats are desperate here. They're just looking to to, to make it past this current news cycle and hope to f- figure uh, something else to attack Trump for. But, oh, we've got something else to move to. Breaking news for you. 
is why you know when you tune into the show, you get all the all the best breaking news nuggets, uh, all the latest and greatest. Empire acty actor Jussie Smollett has been indicted on 16 felony counts by a Cook County grand jury. Uh, 16 counts of disorderly conduct for allegedly making false reports. He is going to have to take a plea deal, my friends, because I do not think he wants to see where this thing goes if he does not. And I think as part of that plea deal, he's going to have to do a recitation of the facts and the truth. And then we will finally be able to move past because there is a there are some dead enders still out there on the Jussie Smollett issue. Maybe, you know, he when he explains his truth, maybe we'll all know his truth. And I remember what Jussie Smollett used to say about all this stuff. I'm pissed off. What? Is it that has you so angry? Is it the the attackers? It's the is attackers, it? but it's also the attacks. It's like, you know, at first it was a thing of like, listen, if I tell the truth, then that's it, because it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Then it became a thing of like, oh, how can you doubt that? Like, how do you how do you not believe that? It's the truth. And then it became a thing of like, oh, It's not necessarily that you don't believe that this is the truth. You don't even want to see the truth. Oh, no, we see the truth, Jussie. We see it just fine. So does the district attorney in Chicago, apparently, who is now throwing 15 felony or 16 felony counts your way. He's out on $100,000 bail, paid a $10,000 bond, had to give up his passport, all of that stuff. Look, I know that we've taken a few victory laps here because this show and and I publicly was one of the very vocal Jussie Smollett is lying people uh, early on in this whole process. Remember, we're doing the Jussie updates. I said, I got another Jussie Smollett update for you. We're doing those many, many of those before it really became obvious to everybody that not only was this not true, that if you still believe Jussie Smollett, you're either being uh, actively actively foolish or dishonest. There really wasn't a, a middle ground here. There's no reason for a person to believe that what Jussie Smollett was saying added up or made any sense whatsoever. And now we know, of course, it does not. And he's he should do some time. He should do some time. I, I, you know, we're going to talk about Paul Manafort later on this hour. But Paul Manafort got almost four years in federal prison for stealing from the government. Now, see, because I have principles and I'm an honest person and don't just seek to score cheap political points on this show or in my life all the time. I mean, I think Jussie Smollett, he's facing 16 felony counts. You know, he should probably do six months in jail. I think that's about right. Some of you might think that's way too lenient. You know, you might say it should be more like 18 months or a year. But that's around the, you know, if if he takes a plea bargain and he does a full uh, a full recitation of the facts here as they actually occurred. So his whole fraud and lo- lays out the fraud and what he did. And you know, then I, I think you're looking at, you know, a year, give or take would be would be fair, would be fair. Manafort got almost four years. But Manafort stole, I think they said six. I think he hid six million dollars or, or failed to pay six million dollars in uh, in taxes to the federal government. OK. 
they're going to say all kinds of things about how Manafort, and they have been saying it, Manafort got some sweetheart deal because he should have gone away for decades. Criminal justice is one area of government where we should all at least be on the same page that the government should not be locking people up unless there's a really good reason, unless they are really sure they are guilty, and the punishment should be commensurate to the crime. And what we really need to be on guard for is this person is my team, a Democrat, therefore they should get this punishment. That person is on their team, a Republican, therefore they should get something else. That's what has been happening with Hillary and Manafort and Papadopoulos and go down the list and Michael Flynn and Andrew McCabe. Are you on my team or their team? What side of the politics do you fall on here? That's how harshly you'll be punished. The justice system has lost a lot of credibility in the last two years already. We're going to talk more about where this is going with Manafort in a moment here, but just on on Smollett. If Smollett does not serve time for the hoax that he perpetrated, the many, many false statements, the police resources devoted to this, if he does not have to spend some time in a prison cell, then we have to ask why anyone convicted under the statute about false reports to authorities would spend time in a prison cell. How much more egregious could it be? Does a law enforcement officer have to be injured or lose his or her life investigating the false crime? Is that now going to be the standard? Because short of that, what Smollett did drew precious and scarce resources from the Chicago Police Department that has lots of unsolved murders to deal with to chase around his little self-indulgent babyish hoax he has to do the time he did the crime let's see if in fact we do have equal justice under law in this country manafort got four years we'll talk more about that smollett should serve prison time been saying it for a long time i'm going to keep saying it let's watch how the politics plays out on this one and a lot more we'll be right back Congressman Omar was unfairly singled out. You know, I think that, uh, I think that, you know, I I think that that, uh, things came down on her a little too hard. We needed to take on the anti-Semitism that was clearly expressed, a bigotry, a hatred that needed to be addressed, needed to be called out. And you have the speaker even saying that this wasn't about uh, Congresswoman Omar. We didn't address it. We just in generally said, oh, you know, basically we were against hate, except maybe not the kind of hate of a Democrat that hated Republicans and tried to kill a number of them, shot Steve Scalise. No, they didn't want to call out anti-Semitism uh, directly. They wanted to blend it in so they wouldn't offend anybody. And then the, per- then the, and the result was uh, that offended people who are very concerned about another Holocaust coming about someday. A resolution about everything, friends, is a resolution about nothing. And that's what the Democrats wanted here. That's what they got. Include all the different things together and then be like, yeah, we're just we're opposed to hate. Well, there's no pro-hate constituency worthy of discussing. I mean, there will always be hateful morons in every society, in every country. But we don't need the Congress to just at this point take it upon themselves to give us a reminder that they hate hateful people. Thanks, Congress. 
What we do need is an assurance, I think, from the left, from the Democrats, that they don't have a place in their party for obvious anti-Semitism, that it's not going to be okay, that this is not a part of discourse. And sure enough, they don't want to give us that. They've got some problems here. They're intersectional politics. You know, what do you do when, you know, are Muslims who are, you know, is a female Muslim ethnic minority in a position to speak about uh, Jewish people and Jewish Americans specifically differently than other people are allowed to because of her background and her religion? Is that now the new, is that the new normal? Is that the new standard? Is that how this is supposed to, to work, to go? Democrats should be forced to answer this question, but they had some t- a tough time answering questions. You heard their uh, AOC. Yeah, like, I mean, I just feel like, um, like, I don't know. Like, I mean, Omar, like, it just came, like, down on her, like, really hard. Okay, something like that. That sounds more or less like she was talking. That much we know. That much we know. Cory Booker, though, you know, he's a seasoned politician, right? He, he's going to know exactly how to handle this one, isn't he? So, any questions? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, there, right in front of me, yes. So, regarding the controversy surrounding Congressman Omar. So, can we do off-topic questions? When we finish, I will happily sit and stand and talk with you about that. But is there anything on this piece of legislation that is out there? I can't see the people in the back. Such a big room, no questions on that. Then I'm going to end this press conference, let my colleague here take the long... Are you walking all the way back over there? Doesn't seem like he wants to answer the question about Omar. Yeah, I'm going to let my colleagues uh, something... Whoa, did somebody pull a fire alarm? You know, he could have just gone for it. You could always... Hey, you know... You got you guys. You guys smell something burning. We got to get out of here. <laughs> you can always just. I got a veggie burger calling my name. He does have a veggie burger calling his name. You know, man. If it if it's all veggie, you can't even call it a burger. You can call it a veggie puck. You can call it a veggie cylindrical object. But I don't uh, think I don't think you're allowed garbage. to call it a burger. I, I, look, I, I'm not a total purist, man. I mean, you can if you want to have a turkey burger. I'm okay with that. A salmon burger. I'll even make an allowance. Veggie burger is not a burger. It is a veggie patty at best. So Cory Booker did not want to answer questions about Ilhan Omar. That is not surprising at all. None of them, it seems, want to answer questions about this. Why? Because the hypocrisy is just slap you in the face obvious here. And the Democrat Party is now run by the wackiest left wing elements Nancy Pelosi having the speaker's gavel or not doesn't doesn't change the fact that the people who are currently setting the agenda are wacko leftist ideologues. The ones that are pushing the Green New Deal, the ones that want socialism. That's right. Socialism, not some. Oh, maybe it's just this other. Let's not call it. So, no, that's what they want. Let's at least use the terminology that they themselves are increasingly using and not move away from that just because, because they tell us to, because they don't want the American people to know what the truth is. Uh, but the the resolution today, I also like this. They decided, so, so here's how the, the whole breakdown went. A Democrat said something anti-Semitic. A lot of Democrats, not all of them, freaked out about it and said that this is unacceptable, and I agree with them that it's unacceptable. But then the Democrats said, well, we're going to have a resolution 
that will condemn anti-Semitism, I say, okay, this won't really do anything, but I guess it's a good step. But then they have a resolution that condemns all hate, makes a mention of anti-Semitism, makes a lot of mention of anti-Islam and, you know, white supremacist stuff and all this different stuff, all packed in together. And then when Gomert and some others, I mean, there were some other Republicans, won't vote, I think there were 23 of them, won't vote for this we don't like hate resolution, which is just a uh, just brainless thing. The whole thing. Make, uh, who, who cares at this point? Do we really need Congress to have a racism is bad resolution? We know racism is bad. Thanks, Congress. Ilhan Omar apparently doesn't know that anti-Semitism is bad, but we know that racism is bad. But then is so classic. Ocasio-Cortez today was pushing the narrative, the so obviously dishonest narrative that Republicans who would not vote for this won't stand up against anti-Semitism. It goes full circle. So you have a Democrats anti-Semitic. Democrats say they're going to call it anti-Semitism. They lose their nerve. They play political games. They call out all kinds of isms. And then the Republicans say this is a joke. They're playing political games. Guess what? Republicans are the anti-Semites now. This is how the Democrats do it. Dude. I got a question. This has hit me. Why didn't they do two resolutions? Why don't they just do one for that denounces anti-Semitism and then go do whatever you want with that other hate thing? Why not just do two? They're too simplistic. I, I, it makes perfect sense to me. You know what? But honestly, the real question is, why do this at all at this point? And we've, we've all exactly. seen what the Democrats really yeah. right. I mean, the, I agree that you could go two, but you also could just say, at this point, who really cares? What is this? What is exactly. this going to? They're not going to. They're not going to take any action against Ilhan Omar, and she's not going to change how she feels. Some people have caught on more. I've been seeing more of this, like, you guys know that what she says is pretty common in the Muslim world overall. Pretty commonplace. Um, in fact, based on uh, a lot of very reputable polling, it's the, the dominant view in the Muslim world is that uh, Jews have undue control of the United States because of money, because of media. Because th- this is These uh, conspiracies are all over the place in the Muslim world. So... I wonder if we'll talk about that next week. We'll have to see. I thought yesterday's vote by the House was disgraceful because it's become the Democrats have become an anti-Israel party. They've become an anti-Jewish party. And I thought that vote was a disgrace. And so does everybody else. If you get an honest answer, if you get an honest answer from politicians, they thought it was a disgrace. The Democrats have become an anti-Israel party. They've become an anti-Jewish party. And that's too bad. I'm going to Alabama. President Trump is right. They can't defend this. They've got nothing here. I mean, anyone who is paying attention, being honest about the situation would tell you that the Democrats just look like utter frauds on this whole thing. I mean, the res- the resolution that they ended up uh, putting, I read through the whole resolution today. It-, it makes a lot more mention of white supremacists, I would note, than it does anything having to do with anti-Semitism. Um, and that's, so So start with that. And they, they mentioned Charlottesville specifically in the resolution because that's really the-, the worry the Democrats have when someone's being on the left being an anti-Semite. Um, but what is the tried and true mechanism when you have no argument to make in politics, when your side has gotten caught? What do you go for? Oh, that's right. A little bit of classic whataboutism, which is what we got from Samantha Power. 
over on CNN. But I am very uncomfortable with the way she has been singled out mm-hmm. here at, you know, in, while we have a president who routinely makes racist comments about African-Americans' IQs. He has made anti-Semitic comments as well, and he has never been condemned. There has never been a resolution by anybody on the Republican side. There was no, you know, no resolution condemning him, you know, basically saying, you know, there's good people on both sides. So why is this woman being singled out in the way that she's being singled out and having the weight of all of Washington come down on her. Wait, I, will, I will just note that Steve King, there was a resol- similar resolution. Oh, right, that 10 condemned. years later. I mean, come on, Jake. I'm not uh, defending really, it. I, I'm just I, noting no, that there I wasn't. Mean, he was even, taken off his committee. But even yeah, noting I mean, it. I mean, Kirsten Powers, they're not Samantha Powers. Sorry about that. Although they, they probably agree on this. I'd be willing to bet. Uh, but that's all you got to do. Just say, well, yeah, maybe this was, maybe this was anti-Semitic. And it comes from a female Democrat, African-American Muslim. Um, but Trump is so racist that nothing else matters. That's really what they're saying. Trump is so bad and Trump has done uh, so much in the left's view that is just unforgivable in terms of uh, you know issues of race and everything else that that's always the excuse now. Yeah, I heard this with the Northam blackface controversy in Virginia. Well, you know, yeah, he shouldn't have worn the blackface, the photo and lied about it and then gotten all weird about it. Shouldn't have done that. But Trump is so bad that it doesn't really matter. Nothing. Trump has now for the left turned into the ever present pathetic excuse for otherwise inexcusable conduct. And it's just so transparent. You see it happening. You see this playing out time and time again. And that's why I think here the, the whataboutism could not be more clear. They know that what Ilhan Omar said is a problem. They know that she's a 37-year-old woman and she knows what she's saying, despite you know Pelosi pretending otherwise on this one. And they know that the best thing that they can do is just say, yeah, well, whatever, 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 Trump. Whatever, whatever, Trump. That's the answer. Is, Il- is Ilhan uh, uh, Omar, is she sorry for this or... You know, she was being anti-Semitic. Is that a problem? Whatever, whatever, Trump. That's what that's what the left comes at you with. They're just there's no intellectual honesty, no intellectual integrity in this whatsoever. They don't have standards that they enforce. They just have the weaponization of a uh, a frame of mind on how people speak about different things that is only used against the right, only used against Republicans. And the double standards is something we're all just supposed to choke on. I don't know. We got to talk about Manafort though in the sentencing. Almost four years. The left is saying not enough because they're lunatics that's coming up how in the world could this judge go so far below the guidelines and paul manafort got the special clubby washington elite friendly treatment look the sentencing gap reflects what i call the value gap and the value gap craig is the belief that white people matter more than others particularly white people with money this was a really shocking astonishing downward departure from the sentencing guidelines uh, just an absolutely shocking sentence shocking I, I find this jaw-dropping to be a rich white man in america you get a whole different kind of justice i mean how can you be a person of color right now and and not just be embarrassed for the criminal justice system if his name was kwame or pedro okay. he would be going up the river actually it, it could be argued that it damaged uh, american democracy we saw from the very beginning that Judge Ellis did not really seem to have a grasp on Paul Manafort's life of crime. From the very beginning, this judge-
judge seemed to have had a heart on for just the Mueller probe overall. From the beginning, he was hostile to this case, and he actually sounded like uh, somebody at a Trump rally uh, from the bench. It's hard to fit that much stupid into one minute, but MSNBC there did it. Everything you heard there is uh, is wrong and idiotic. Every last bit of it. All of it is pathetic. All of it is why people increasingly need to just not listen to these so-called analysts that go on TV. Uh, the they, they have no understanding of how the federal criminal justice system actually works. To compare uh, Manafort to – they didn't really compare. They just said, well, you know, because he's rich and white, I mean, people of color must look at this and say, well, that's so unfair – um, okay, which people of color and for what crime? Because nobody who is a first-time tax offender, which is what Manafort is, you heard someone there say his life of crime, his life of actually not crime, but not paying his taxes adequately for the last 10 years or so. They made it sound like he got off with nothing. He's getting an additional sentencing next week, which we'll get to in a moment. They gave this guy four years. Look, I think the judge was right. I think Judge Ellis, this is what was, and you actually last night I said on radio before they had the sentencing, producer Mike will back me up on this one. I said the three to five years is what this guy should get. That's what justice would be. This is what he should get. They take into account things like he's 70 years old. He doesn't have that much time left you know, on this earth. A 20-year sentence would be effectively a life sentence. They take into account has he ever committed a crime before? The answer is no. He has no criminal record before this. And four years in federal prison when you're 70, a $25 million fine, and this coming after he had his home raided like he was Pablo Escobar and spent six months in solitary confinement like he's Hannibal Lecter. I don't think that this is the example that they think it is of how easy it is to be rich and white and tied to Trump in America at all. They have such crappy judgment on all these idiots on TV. These people are just they're just preening buffoons. They go on and they say that this oh this this is is such such an injustice. Do they really think that 20 years in federal prison would have been that would have been fair? 20 years for not paying taxes. They, they say, oh, all these different crimes. The crimes are all variations on how he avoided paying taxes. That's it. That's it. If he hadn't been working for Trump for free, I might add, because he thought it would up his marketability in the international influence peddling scene. But if he hadn't been working for Trump, this guy would still be a very rich guy and, you know, going about his business. The message that has been sent is if you were if you are part of Trump world, the left will get you. That's the message. The message is not that there's disparate justice. The people say that are morons. They don't know anything. I mean, I told you the story yesterday of the individual who uh, shot the shopkeeper in the leg and caused him to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Who got three and a half years for a, a vicious armed robbery, attempted murder blowing off some guy's leg, his wife and children running up to him, watching him almost bleed to death in the store that they had put, you know, their whole life savings and everything into to feed, feed the family. That guy gets three years. There's three and a half to 10, I think, was the full range. But all he has to do is good behavior. He gets three and a half years. 
you're going to tell me that, oh, the justice system is so, it's so terrible because of what happens here. Anyone who thinks you should get 20 years for underpaying your taxes doesn't know what the heck they're talking about. 20 years for a tax violation, folks. And I also think that the corruption of the liberal soul is particularly on display when they're rooting for a fellow American, a a fellow citizen, one of us, whether they like him or hate him, when they're rooting for him to spend the rest of his natural life in prison because he didn't give enough of his earnings to Uncle Sam. There's something very, very wrong with people who feel that way. And there's something really grotesque about those who, for obvious political reasons, cheer at the destruction of somebody's life like this. Manafort is not public enemy number one. They've tried to make him into it because their pathetic, stupid, worthless Mueller probe has been a a farce all along. And the closest thing they can get to, oh, Russia and scheming and, you know, hacking and all this other stuff is to destroy Paul Manafort. That, that's the closest thing that they can get to it. So that's why they're willing to cheer this whole thing on. But we should be very uncomfortable when our fellow Americans sit around and are rooting for the state to annihilate somebody, ruin their life, lock them up for decades for a tax crime against the government. That's all, that's all he is really guilty of here, folks, is lying to the government and not giving the government enough of his money. Money that he did earn, I might add. People were paying him this money. He did not steal money from anyone. His only crimes are lying to the government, hiding money from the government, and not giving the government enough of his money. And they really wish that they could, you know, just put him in a torture chamber for the next 20 years, which is basically what solitary confinement is anyway, which they've had him in for six months. Guy had to be wheeled in in a wheelchair. This is the problem with libs. They have no... Uh, their, their ideology has no room for mercy, has no room for grace and compassion and decency. It's all just power, 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 me, me, me. Anyone who stands in my way must be destroyed. And these networks that are just full of idiots these days, like CNN and MSNBC, just 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 a, an overabundance of morons. They go on TV and they give they give more credibility to this narrative among the left that Manafort got Got off easy here. Let's see what happens next week. This judge, Ellis, who I'm sure you've probably heard from some of the news coverage on this, Ellis was appointed by Reagan, which automatically in the eyes of a lot of people means that he's, you know, he's considered, ooh, so politicized, right? He's a he's a right-wing judge. Guess who appointed the judge in D.C. that Manafort's going to have to see next week for a hearing, for a sentencing hearing? Barack Obama. And now why is it that I can sit here and tell you that there's an overwhelming likelihood that whatever that judge can do to and and the way to do it would be to have him run the sentence back to back. Right. So it would be he serves his four years on the charges in the trial that Ellis presided over, and then he'll serve on a conspiracy charge, which is the the vague conspiracy is usually what the government gets you on when you're not a sympathetic figure and they can't get you on anything else because conspiracy covers a lot of ground. It's basically you agree to do something illegal with somebody else says the government, you don't have to actually do anything Uh, often requires an affirmative step, but you don't have to go through with the conspiracy. So 
Why is it that I know that the Obama-appointed judge next week is going to give a very, uh, very harsh, under the circumstances, judgment? I should say I know. Why is it that I am I am able to foresee the likelihood of that? Because this is all about the politics. Manafort is Trump. Trump needs to be destroyed. And so if you can take down somebody like Manafort near him, then that's what the left will do. And I, I would just note that through all this process, they haven't talked much about Russia collusion, even though we hear that Manafort was doing all this work for Ukrainian oligarchs with ties to Russia and all this Russia, Russia stuff. Well, where's the collusion? Shouldn't man neither Manafort nor, nor Cohen. Not only do they not have collusion to offer up, they have explicitly said under threat of additional prison time. That there was no collusion, but the media still thinks there was. So his lawyer of 10 years that was with him during the campaign and his campaign manager. Have said and they have no reason to lie. There's no collusion. Mueller Mueller hasn't been able to find them engaging in any collusion, despite seizing their records and all the pressure he has been able to use from the prosecutor's office. And yet. They still pretend that they're going to find this out. In fact, they want the Congress to look even further into it. Here's what the president himself said about this, and he's right. His lawyer went out of his way, actually, to make a statement last night. No collusion with Russia. There was absolutely none. The judge, I mean, for whatever reason, I was very honored by it, also made the statement that this had nothing to do with collusion with Russia. Nothing to do with collusion with Russia. That is a fact. That is a fact. There is nothing about this that has to do with Russia collusion, which is why the Mueller probe should end with all due haste as soon as possible. This has been such a waste of energy, of time, um, of taxpayer dollars, the whole thing. Notice how you don't hear much about election integrity and security anymore either. They no longer seem to have much interest in, oh, what if the Russians with the Facebook pages and the the bots and the sock puppets and the. You don't hear about that anymore. I I thought we needed this to. To protect our to protect our democracy and protect the sanctity of our elections. No, this was just all about the sanctimony of hating Trump. And those who want to pretend that they have some righteous mission in overturning the will of the American people as expressed in the in the all-due-and-proper 2016 election that Hillary lost, and they still just can't accept it. They won't accept it. They refuse. Uh, I hope that they can bring this to an end soon. I really do. Um, and I feel badly for, for Manafort, and any decent person should feel badly for the guy. He's paying back all the money and then some that he didn't pay to the government. He didn't steal from old ladies. He didn't take food out of the mouths of babies, okay? he's not He's not running you know, elder fraud scams where people are losing their life savings. He hid money from from the federal government and the federal government is now crushing him, but they're crushing him mostly because he's tied to Trump. And that's why you have this this just hateful, spiteful. Oh, he should have gotten even more time. The guy got four years. It's a long time to sit in federal prison. We'll be right back. Yeah, fine. The AARP is a well-known organization for seniors, right? We probably heard of it. I've heard of it. But people need to know that the AARP is pretty left-wing. Think of it like the Obamacare of senior organizations. Well, if you want the conservative free market 
loving alternative, I recommend you try AMAC. Why AMAC? Well, you've got over 1.5 million of your fellow Americans who have already joined who are getting great discounts on car insurance, hotels, roadside assistance, dental plans, but also they know that they're part of a very powerful and growing organization that supports the same kind of conservative future that seniors should have and should want for this country. That's why you should stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight, become a member today. The benefits are great. The cause is even greater. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. One more time, amac.us slash buck. And they put all their eggs in the Michael Cohen basket and it blew up in their face last week because he came in here and lied again. Now they're going to, now he's what, Mr. Nadler sent 81 letters to 60 some different individuals. And by the way, I think what's important about that is Remember the two people Mr. Nadler didn't send a letter to, Chris Steele and Glenn Simpson. Glenn Simpson, the guy that Clinton's paid to put together the dossier, and Christopher Steele, the guy who wrote the dossier, which was the basis for this whole false investigation that the Democrats have launched. I spoke to uh, Rudy Giuliani today for, for a bit about what's going on with all these investigations, all these maneuvers, all that stuff. And sure enough... He thinks that Michael Cohen should be prosecuted for additional violations of uh, statutes involving perjury, lying to Congress, lying under oath. He thinks that there should be more charges added into the mix. In fact, he said, and he said this on the show, if there's not charges brought against Michael Cohen, then you have to. Drop the charges against Flynn, who, as we know, is also hit with a, a perjury charge for what the FBI initially thought was not a lie and might have been just something misremembered. But they wanted they wanted to get him, as we know, they wanted to they wanted to get uh, General Flynn because he was tied to Trump and on national security, gave him some additional credibility and was someone that the upper ranks of the Obama-era national security apparatus had a problem with. So they they wanted to, to take him out, and they did, unfortunately. It was unjust, but they did. Uh, but Cohen, what you see now is how much this is all being stage-managed and the stage-craft that's involved for the Democrat narrative about Russia collusion. And just forget Russia collusion. Just get Trump. Just get Trump. It was madness. And I asked Giuliani this today. It was madness for Cohen to sit in front of Congress for those hours and subject himself to what's happened now, it seems, which is to lie again under oath. For what? He was already going to prison. He could very well have pleaded the fifth you know, or taken the fifth. Take the fifth, you know, whatever. He could have invoked his Fifth Amendment right to avoid self-incrimination, not answered any of Congress's questions. Instead, what we find out is that Adam Schiff spent 10 hours. I think they said 10 hours. That's a that's a really long time. Talking to Cohen in advance of his testimony. This was just a Democrat hit. That's all it was. They weren't looking. They weren't looking for any answers. They weren't looking to uncover any new information. 
They were merely trying to figure out how can we create another news cycle of Trump and Stormy Daniels and the porn star, find some way to pretend that this is oversight, which is the most abused word now among Democrats. Oversight is something that you would think would involve an essential American interest. Instead, what you have here is the Congress asserting its right to stick its thumb in the president's eye and try to embarrass him and try to embarrass his supporters whenever they get a chance just to to score political points, to score cheap shots. That's where they excel. But, but Cohen is not a very smart guy. Um, what he did was very dumb. I know why he did it. I think it's because he wants to live his life as somebody going forward when he gets out of prison in three or four years, whenever it is. He wants the much bigger territory of the left to be a place of some, remember the left when it comes to jobs, when it comes to positions and media treatment, that's where all the, that's where all the sweet stuff is. You know, if, if you're just picking from pure self-interest in this country, whether you want to be a conservative or a leftist, um, in terms of your career opportunities, in terms of where, how the culture will treat you and much easier, much better to just go along and get along with the left. To be a conservative means you have to uphold principles. You have to believe in lines that aren't constantly changing based upon whoever happens to be crossing the line. I mean, it's, it's harder to be a conservative. It's, it's harder to be a conservative. It's a lot more fun, a lot easier to be a liberal. So I think Cohen was, in a sense, making his pitch that he wants to be considered one of the good people by the libs when he comes out of prison. And that's why he did Adam Schiff's bidding. I mean, Adam Schiff is as unseemly and dishonest a person in Congress as you will find. He has been at the absolute forefront of stoking of this insanity about Russia collusion and all this stuff all along. And now he's just going to move on to investigating Trump in every way that he can, however he can. And so, so is so is Nadler. Before I get to the, the Nadler side of this, though, I just want to note that the issue of a pardon came up with Trump and a pardon for Cohen. Some people still think that that's going to happen. I have to tell you, I find that highly Highly uh, unlikely. But here's what the president said about it. Michael Cohen lied about the pardon. I know it's a stone cold lie. And he's lied about a lot of things. But when he lied about the pardon, that was really a lie. And he knew all about pardons. His lawyers said that they went to my lawyers and asked for pardons. And I could go a step above that, but I won't go do it now. Bad lawyer. I had a bad lawyer. Go ahead. That happened. A bad lawyer. No question about that. I also asked Rudy today, I said, why has President Trump, why has President Trump not been better equipped, more able to sniff out some of the, they're just, they're just losers. I mean, they're bad apples. And Giuliani said that, you know, he's made mistakes, too, about people. And, and I, I guess that's as good of an answer. He's not Trump. That's as good an answer as you can imagine. But to have been around this guy Cohen for 10 years, Giuliani said that he thinks that he felt badly, that Trump felt a kind of personal loyalty to Cohen because, you know, he liked the idea of lifting this guy up, who's obviously not from a fancy law school, not some big shot corporate lawyer and elevating him in part of the process. And so there was a sense of personal loyalty that Trump felt to Cohen. I, I think that's a, 
a credible response. I think that you know I, I could be convinced of that, but I still can't imagine having somebody as as incompetent and unethical as, as Cohen close to me in the inner circle of the of the White House. But now there's the question of whether they're going to press charges against him because of what he lied about in, in the Congress. And he said he did not want a White House job. He did not want a White House job. And there are plenty of people that have come out to say he did. And one of those people is Michael Cohen, who said on CNN that he was hoping to get a job in the White House. And so there's tape of it now. I don't know if he's going to say that he changed his mind. So it's all a question of what the timing is here. You know, I, I'm not clear on how Cohen is going to defend himself if that comes up. I don't know what his defense could possibly be. He's on tape saying he wants a White House job, and then he's saying, oh, no, I don't want a White House job. But uh, he's created a lot of trouble for himself, and what a swing. Oh, Nadler, I was going to just say about Nadler, they've got more investigations pending than they're going to know what to do with. They're going to just drag this stuff out as much as they can. And I think that Congress, in a sense here, is really borrowing from what the Democrat media's plan, the Democrats in Congress are borrowing from what the Democrat media plan was around the dossier. In a weird way, BuzzFeed has actually been helpful to the cause of the Trump administration by publishing that dossier because it is quite clear that what the CNNs of the world plan to do was use that dossier as a go-to source, a little piggy bank of fake but very attention-grabbing, anti-Trump oppo. And they want to just keep it and have it, and the media would have known about it, and they'd run stories from it. And then they'd always claim, oh, there's additional sources if anyone brought up. Is this from the dossier that people have been talking about? But because they published that, all of a sudden people were able to see for themselves how ridiculous this Hillary Clinton-funded opposition document was. Uh, That death-by-a-thousand-cut strategy, the drip, drip, drip effect of anti-Trump stories that they had or or that they plan to have from the dossier, that is what they are going to do now with these investigations. You're not going to see bombshells because there are no bombshells. You're not going to see Russian collusion because there is no Russian collusion. But you are just going to see a a repetition of talking points that are damaging to Trump or at least paint him or members of his administration in a negative light. And I think they're just hoping to overwhelm people's cognitive systems with just, well, I've heard so much about Trump that's bad. I've heard them say so many things about how Trump is terrible that some of it may be true. They're hoping that for 2020, this will help them. I do. I do still believe that. Very um, likely this will backfire on them in 2020, although they'll never admit that if they lose, it's going to be because of you know Chinese collusion next time. It's going to be something else. They'll have some other excuse. But they're getting very close to what is truly overreach. I mean, I think they're already past it, but will the American, will enough Americans see that for what it is? That's the open question, and keep an eye on it. I was just talking to our head of HR at the Hill about how we've got some really important, really key positions open, and uh, I told her, look, I'm going to help you out here. She said, what do you got for me, Buck? I said, uh, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Buck. She says, oh, that's what we used before to hire some great people. That's right. That is what we used before, and we're going to use it again. You should use it too. ZipRecruiter is the best place for you to post jobs online because ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. They don't stop there, though. They have a powerful matching technology that scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. And right now, listeners can try ZipRecruiter 
for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, one more time and try it totally free. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck for whatever job, whatever industry. This is the smartest way to hire ZipRecruiter. Check it out. The, um, I, I am very pleased that there's a, an increased awareness about the threat to our planet, uh, that we, the crisis that we are facing. I do believe that as we save the planet, we can do so with jobs, 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 good paying jobs, keeping us preeminent in the world in the green technologies. It's a public health issue, clean air, clean water. It's a national security issue, uh, uh, green, uh, green New Deal, some of the elements of that may be part of the, dis- will certainly be part of the discussion. This is Pelosi more or less admitting to you right there that she no longer can just tell the left-wing lunatics in her party in the Congress, okay, you, you run and play now and let the, adults, let the adults handle this. She can't just dismiss it. As monumentally stupid as the Green New Deal was, as completely ridiculous as the rollout of that with Ocasio-Cortez and all the different networks, they're like, oh, this... this is a mission statement for the government. Pelosi has to at least give some pretense of respect to the Green New Deal's underlying principles. And I'm just hoping that everyone remembers going forward, and and the voters, particularly in states like Florida and Ohio and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, just how crazy the Democrats are on this issue. The stuff that they say doesn't even make any sense. It's not even clear what they're talking about. And Pelosi was a great new deal. It's, you know, it's national security. It's it's so important. It's clean air. It's clean water. It's, it's, you know, making sure that, like, you know, you pay the maid in cash because she doesn't want to have to go to the bank. And, you know, wait, what? You're right, Nancy. What are you talking about? You know, Nancy's got a lot of maids, by the way. She loves. She's very much of the people as in she likes the people that show up and do things for her in her huge estate in San Francisco. But she's she's all about the working man and woman. Sure thing. Every time I hear someone talking about the Green New Deal now, I think about all the different ways that I want to do deep dives on, on how stupid this is. And some of you who are longtime listeners to this show know that, that I have I have certain pet peeves. Um one of them is I hate whistling, and I know that. And there's actually a medical condition that people. I don't know if it's a medical condition. That's a little too strong. Like I don't get to have a service, you know, a, a service ostrich with me because of my medical condition that I hate whistling. Although now that I say that out loud, it does sound pretty badass. Uh, but it does. It, it, the whistling frequency when people whistle can really irritate some uh, some individuals, some some human beings' ears, like mine. I absolutely hate whistling. Uh, another thing that I, I absolutely hate is recycling. I think recycling is stupid. And I've always felt that way. And it's it's very clear that there's a, uh, that a, a lot of the desire to recycle comes from people's need to feel like they're doing something good because they're a good person. But it won't cost them anything, really. And it won't be, you know, it won't be anything that is difficult for them to do. And I, I just appreciate that Kyle Smith, who's over at National Review, just wrote a piece 
today. Recycling is a waste. And he just takes this whole takes this whole thing to task. And people have known this for a long time. Recycling, maybe, maybe for cardboard and I think uh, metal cans, he says here. Yeah, aluminum cans and cardboard. Maybe that's not a terrible idea. Any other form of recycling is completely counterproductive and idiotic in every way. It is very expensive. It's much more expensive than taking anything to a landfill. And people say, oh, Buck, but the land- we, we are not running out of space for landfills. That is completely false. Uh, I think he says in here that you could fit all of the landfill that we currently have uh, on one-tenth of one percent of the land that we have for grazing in this country. One-tenth of one percent. So that's just nuts. Here, Yeah, he says over the next, here we go. All of the trash Americans produce over the next millennium would fit on one-tenth of one percent of the land available for grazing. And a lot of rural communities are open for business when it comes to accepting urban rubbish. There is no landfill shortage. Kyle Smith, for the win, he is correct. This is another crazy thing. And then, you know, they have these stories occasionally of kids. It tends to happen in California. Small children who go into school and they they don't recycle something. And the teacher, I remember being scolded when I was a kid, when I was a kid by a teacher here or there for not recycling something. You know, like that's this is a this is a a mental condition that people have that they really think that they're going to save the planet by recycling their aluminum can. You know, the, the same people, though, who will get all on your case about recycling, I will just note, have far fewer problems with littering and trash because that is increasingly now a cultural differentiation. And you will see this between America and other countries and people come here from other countries. We have a different view of littering and trash than much of the rest of the world. That dealing with trash and litter appropriately, meaning just not throwing it uh, on on the street and uh, and leaving it to you know, be an eyesore and get into groundwater and you know, all that stuff, uh, that's considered a first world problem in a lot of ways. Because uh, in crowded areas of the third world, you'll see the trash cleanup situation is completely uh, beyond the control of the local municipality. So recycling is stupid. And and I don't know if composting, I mean, if you want to do that, if you want to keep smelly old food in a box and then dump it out on your lawn or whatever, I mean, I'm fine with that, I guess. But it strikes me as very unnecessary. I mean, Mike, I do not compost. I can tell you that. No. Um, but the other part of this, with what the Green New Deal zealots running around talking about all this stuff, you have to remember that if you add in the energy that is required to recycle things, and you factor that into this process, I mean, the actual recycling process to recycle things and the carbon footprint of that process, you would be better off just taking it to the landfill. So if you believe that CO2 is entering the world, you should be opposed to recycling. But they don't want to believe that because it feels so good to take that metal. The worst is when you have the takeout food tray that's like aluminum and it gets like, the you know, you get the tostada like kind of stuck in it and then you got to wash it because you don't want to put the you know what i'm talking about you know maybe you don't know what i'm talking about but i'm just saying i hate recycling you should hate recycling too listen to me on this people bad don't believe all the hype you're not saving the planet you shouldn't be fined for this you shouldn't have to take like a special bag down to your local dump or whatever this is all it's all madness folks left has gone mad we'll be right back 
This campaign is about is not only that we're going to win the Democratic nomination, it's not only that we're going to defeat Donald Trump, we are going to transform this country and create an economy and a government that works for all of us. I think that the support is there. I think the grassroots aren't going to let the DNC do what they did last time. So I'm, I'm confident that we're going to get the win this time. For one, Hillary's not running, so they can't rig the election. <laughs> you want my honest opinion. It's true, though. The DNC did rig the election for Hillary. Remember, I was over at Hillary headquarters, also known as CNN, for the election year. And it was very clear. Uh, the, one of the most fun things over there was, I don't know what they were thinking, but once or twice, and they never let it happen. I think it only happened once. They let me sit in because I needed a Republican to pretend that they were actually having something other than a you know liberal love fest for Hillary. And th- they brought me on after Hillary and Bernie had a debate. And it was funny because we all would sit there in the breaks. We're like, at least Bernie's, at least Bernie's authentic, right? You know, I mean, yes, he's like, I'm going to give everybody ice cream that doesn't make you fat. There's no sugar. Tastes amazing. You don't pay for it. Eat as much as you want. And that's compelling. It's also a fairy tale, but I'm, I mean, this is food is going to keep coming up during the show because I really haven't eaten today. I'm just very hungry. But, you know, Bernie's pitch, if you could believe that, you know, you'd be, uh, he's a rocky road guy, I can tell. I feel like you can pick. Today we got asked, we, we had, we went on the table at the Hill about favorite Girl Scout cookie. Producer Mike, favorite Girl Scout cookie. What is the correct answer? Not your opinion. What's the correct answer? There's only one correct answer. Uh, I like the uh, Samoa. That is the correct answer. I was going to give you a whole, you know, I was going to code red him, John, but I can't because he got, and now you know the answer and I've already said what I think. I could put them away, not by the sleeve, by the box. Yeah, some people are like Thin Mints. I'm like, Thin Mints are a good second choice when you run out of Samoas. Yeah, no, it's a good second choice to Samoas. Samoas. There we go. Like a boss, Quinn, like a boss. So uh, Bernie's around. Bernie's running around though. And he's saying that they're going to do more. They're they're going to beat Trump and and all this stuff. And uh, you know what's funny to me is I'm I'm hearing and I think Howard Schultz said this publicly this week, but I've heard from other sources for a while now that that's that Bernie is for libs. He is the red line. Whereas there'll be a, if Bernie wins, there'll be a third can, a third party candidate like like Howard Schultz will get in. Because he he thinks there are some Democrats who do believe that the if the actual nominee for the Democratic Party is a socialist, it's they can never come back from that, right? Because because right now the game is always oh it's just Bernie. The Democrats are still the Democrats. I, I've come up against this. I spoke to a, a Hillary strategist earlier in the week, and and that was what he said. Oh, it's just Bernie and and maybe Elizabeth Warren a little bit. Ocasio-Cortez is not running for president. So it's not really a socialist party yet, even though the policies are all basically socialist at this point. Democratic socialist, which is just a modifier meant to make people feel better about the fact that they're socialists. Uh, But if Bernie wins, then the talking point becomes, and it's not just talking point, it's reality. Sometimes talking points are true, that the last Democrat nominee was a socialist. And some Democrats view this as a, a long-term threat to the party because they think the country, even if they want socialist policies, is not yet ready to accept 
psychologically the embrace of open socialism in that way. And so there's some Democrats who Schultz being you know, a guy who can read a balance sheet and didn't honeymoon in the Soviet Union like a total weirdo. Such a weird move, by the way. Think about that, dude. No, honey, not Paris, not Florence, not the Caribbean, not Hawaii. The Soviet Union. I, I think I think Miss Molly would take a pass, Mike. I, I don't think I think she'd say you can go eat your borscht alone, uh, and there wouldn't be very much of it because the Soviet Union obviously was not a land of abundance. Anyway, oh, I was telling you about CNN with with the. So we would go into these. Uh, we go into this debate, post debate show, sitting there with you know the Anna Navarro, Van Jones contingent. It wasn't them, but it was people like them over there, analysts who go on TV. But most of the of the seven or eight people we had at this mega panel, you know, CNN brings out. It's like it's like if they had every Democrat candidate right now on stage at the same time. That's all of their panels these days. They figure if nobody can say anything smart, just put as many people on stage as possible and hope that they'll say so many things that nobody will remember anything. It's, it's, it's a plan. I don't think it's a good plan. But in in the commercial breaks, everybody's saying Bernie's authentic. Bernie is with the grassroots. But but the thing was Hillary's electable. That was and that was all it took. And that was all it took. So they all knew that Hillary was a horrible candidate. But you see this earlier this week. I was ready. I was ready to throw in the towel, John. I was ready because I've been saying for a long time that Hillary's Hillary's grand plan is to run in 2020. And I'm not saying that means she will, but that is her plan. And people have been telling me, including former Hillary advisors. One or two I know who are actually relatively cute and kind of fun. Uh they have told me that there's no chance Hillary's running, absolutely none whatsoever, and, and they mock me for even bringing up. And again, I'm not saying that that is going to happen. I'm saying Hillary wants it to happen. That's not the same thing. And I, earlier this week, people said Hillary's out. It's not happening. There was this whole moment. And I was like, no, what am I going to do? Because now I can't do the Hillary, which sounds nothing like her. But side note, you know that I won the... Daily Caller's Donald Trump impersonation contest on the spot Did you? at CPAC. Yes. Awesome. They did like a little a little straw poll or something. This is what they told me. I don't know. But they brought it all the different conservatives that they could that walked past the Daily Caller booth at CPAC. And you had to do a Donald Trump impression, which I never do on the show because I don't think it's radio ready. But I was like, it's the Daily Caller. I love these guys. I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Number one, Donald Trump impression right here on the spot. dude. It's awesome. You well, radio, do, it's what radio skills does for you. You, know? you should do Trump. I can't just sit here and like, like, oh, like, you know, put more hairspray in and look more serious to the camera. Like, you know, you got to bring the content. Yeah. When you bring you content. should have Trump debate Beto and I'll do it in the same. Oh, my gosh. Like, he just wouldn't even know what hit him. But I don't believe in hitting because that's like such male aggression. But there's that. He's running, by the way. Beto's running. Oh, wait, my Hillary theory. I was telling you my Hillary theory. So I, I was willing to back office and say, all right, Buck, maybe on this one, your analysis was. And then sure enough, she gave an interview, I think on Wednesday, where they said to her, um, you know, would you agree that there's no chance you're running or something like this? And she's like, well, I wouldn't say there's no chance. It was like, wait, what? Dude, I'm absolutely. Back. Dude, she is definitely waiting. Dude, she's waiting. Out. 
I want to ask you one other. Talking about people you, waiting you on the sidelines. You ever the seagulls that yeah. steal the French fries from you? You know when you go to one of those yeah. places with the seaside and the seagulls like wait there. It's not going to try to like take mm-hmm. them it out of your hand. Although I guess maybe some of them. But it's waiting for you. The second you get up, that seagull is going to come out and take your French fries. That seagull is Hillary Clinton. Absolutely. It's just waiting for you to step step up and walk away from that table. The Democrats that are Absolutely. running. What were you going to say though? I was going to ask you. I have one other person who I think is waiting on the sidelines, waiting to see how it all shakes out, much like Hillary's doing. What do you think about Michelle Obama? I'm going to get booed by the audience for saying this right now. Yeah. If Michelle Obama ran, I think she would I think she would be very tough for Trump to beat. Yeah. Because the media, the whole the whole successful narrative and apparatus of the media before from Obama would be transferred to Michelle Obama plus the whole I'm with her, you know, me too, feminism, glass ceiling, all that stuff. Very tough. Very yeah. tough for her to, but you know, I have heard from people that know her that she's she's happy just being a, a bajillionaire who gets to do whatever the heck she wants, and like really, they say she really just doesn't want to do it. Yeah. But I, I I I would say Mike, she would be the most from a purely fighting it out with Trump perspective because she does she wouldn't have to be, you know, what what, what I she could just represent she could steal some of Bernie's ideas and then just be Michelle Obama and the media would oh my god they love her more than Obama. Yeah. Which I didn't even know that's possible. Yeah. She, and she would get in super late. She wouldn't have to go through all this trash talking that's happening now. She'd wait till all these people beat each other up and she'd like creep in the last second. And let me, you know what the, the way that Hillary, and this is, this could work for Michelle Obama too. Although I really, I do believe because I've heard from people that are in the Obama world and that are pretty high up and close to the Obamas that she just doesn't have the stomach for it. She just doesn't want to do it, which I can understand because it is nasty. Uh, Hillary, obviously, though, is like, this is the only stomach she has anything for. I mean, this is like all she exists now at this point to do. And the way it happens is you go into, and I'm, again, I'm not saying it's going to, I'm saying it could. You go into a brokered convention where there's really no front runner, and and then the Hillary apparatus, right, the apparatchiks of, of Hillary Clinton land make sure that the whole thing is just a mess. And, you know, and so, so her people who still think they should have been the, you know, White House, this and that and everything else in this administration, you know, they still feel like they got cheated. They show up at the Democrat convention and they do all that. And then Hillary just swoops in and is like, this is the only way to set the world right. If we want to set the clock back and erase Trump, this I'm the only option. I'm the consensus candidate. It is just so crazy, Mike, that I don't think it's that crazy at all. I don't think it's, oh, people are going to tell me, no, Buck, that's crazy. Cory Booker is going to run against Trump. Cory Booker, if Trump runs against Cory Booker, Cory Booker is going to cry during a debate. He will actually start crying, I think. And not in a like theatrical way, but in a like, you're a mean way. Absolutely. Yeah. Trump's will just go over. I told you this before. He's going to go over, put a cheeseburger on his podium, and walk ve- away. Dude, the vegan jokes alone <laughs> will finish He's going to be throwing out cheeseburgers like Frisbees to the crowd. Trump, Trump will show up the first debate if Cory Booker's the nominee, and he will just hand him some tofurkey. And just say enjoy, and that you know it'll be it'll be, it'll be like little Marco. We called he called Marco Ruby a little Marco, and that was that was the end of that. Um, and so th- those are my theories about where the Democrats are. I tend to be right, but I'm not always right. But I'm mostly right. We'll see how it shakes out. We'll be right back. Border's going to keep getting worse. I, I'm not going to spend an hour every night on the border. Obviously, we have other things to cover here, but. The situation is absolutely going to continue to deteriorate. There's no reason to believe it's going to get better 
anytime soon. In fact, I think you'll see this year will be worse for inadmissible entry into the United States and just illegal entry into the United States than any year of the Obama administration. And my friends, I'm sorry, there is no way to explain that away. There's nothing. I, I don't care. You know, we, we can sit around and try to point fingers or whatever. The fact of the matter is this is happening on Trump's watch. He needs to get control of the Republicans and he needs a unified front on this because this is out of control. I saw this today and I thought there's there's no way that this is really. There's no way this could be true. This is happening now more and more on the immigration issue. You find out what's going on at the border and uh you, you you see what what's happening. You you dig into the facts, and you think there must be some exaggeration here. Here here's a perfect example of that uh, from the Center for Immigration Studies. Todd Bensman tweeted out: "U.S. asylum officer told me that now elective LASIK surgery is offered to all female migrants in family detention. Children are given braces." All at no cost. Then they're catch and released into the interior. Migrants, according to asylum officers, are calling home with news of these incredible benefits. And the rush goes on. They're giving people LASIK surgery, which costs about 10 grand in the actual healthcare market, as I understand it now. I mean, does that sound? I think that's about I haven't had it, but I think that's about right. It's expensive. You get elective LASIK surgery done. And braces, I know, are that was always a big thing when I was growing up. Or, oh, my gosh, braces are so expensive. They're probably less expensive now, but they're still. And remember, these are elective cosmetic. I mean, well, braces are an elective cosmetic procedure generally. I know it can be for health reasons, but usually it's a cosmetic procedure. And look, I mean, you know, do I want little kids to have braces? Yeah, I wish I wish we could give the whole world the whole world's little kids braces. But we do have limited resources here. You know, there is a a, a cause and effect to all this. This is not just. Well, we've got this endless and we're twenty two trillion dollars in debt. I just can't emphasize this enough. And one of the areas that we're constantly lied to about illegal immigration and what's happening at our southern border is they say that this is helping us financially and economically. And that is just not true. It is not true. If bringing in non-English speaking, generally less than less than ninth grade educated Uh, Honduran and El Salvadoran and Guatemalan migrants, if that made your country wealthy, then we should just make El Salvador the 51st state. Right. Offer them that. I'm sure they'd take it. You know, we we provide law enforcement, all the federal benefits that come in with it. Uh, They'd they'd probably sign on for that deal. Really much more certain even that Honduras would sign on for that deal. Um, But we recognize at some level this can't this cannot be true. And America is, in fact, so wealthy because of the American people, because of our culture, our rule of law. It is us that makes this place so wealthy. Yeah, we have a lot of natural resources. So does Russia. Our economy is 10 times the size of Russia, something like that. I think they have a between a trillion and two trillion dollar economy. And ours is, you know, 10x the Russian economy. And it's because of the American people. So I just thought that was a stunning I'm hoping when I get down to El Paso, guys, I'll get you as much of this as I can. You know what, Mike? We should have Todd. Can we have Todd Bensman on? Because he's obviously doing a lot of research on this from Center for Immigration Studies. I think that people need to know what's really happening here.
that now it is just a free for all. I mean, this is like Obamacare for the whole world at the southern border. And and everyone knows. And this is a big it's a big scam. And it's it, it needs to stop. And the other thing that was in the I can't believe the Democrats are actually doing this, but they are category is in this. And we'll talk more about this in the next hour. I've just been trying to catch up on this one. Uh, but the Democrats in the House, based on this uh, latest procedural or this, this latest vote, that's not a procedural vote, this latest legislative vote, H.R. 1, the For the People Act, which they say expands voter registration. Um, they also say that they are favorable to illegal immigrants voting in local elections. They want to defend in this act people allowing illegal aliens. This is the Democrats now as part of this first uh, or no, the for the for the people act. Rather, they want you to vote for your school board, et cetera, et cetera, even if you're an illegal. This is if you don't think this is a a this is where I was going to say first step, a first step toward Democrats pushing for anybody in the country being able to vote regardless of immigration status. I'm sorry, you're 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 missing what's happening here. That's coming. Trust me, Democrats want it and they will start to fight for it. It's a great feeling when you find that $20 bill in your uh, jacket that you haven't worn in a while, right? It's nice, found money. Well, you know where else you might have some found money? Maybe even hundreds of dollars, maybe even more. Sitting in the papers in your filing cabinet desk or you know in your attic, who knows where. But it's from that old 401k that you started but didn't really do anything with. Well, guess what? That money's sitting there gathering financial dust. It could be working for you in a precious metals IRA. My friends at Noble Gold can see if you qualify. They'll do all the heavy lifting for you. Could make you a lot of money. Could cost you nothing. Give Noble Gold a call at 877-646-5347 or text BUCK to 511-511 to get their free investor's guide. Remember, they can check for you to see if you qualify for a precious metals IRA. You should really check this out. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com or text BUCK to 511-511 or you can call 877-646-5347. Individual results may vary. Invest wisely. Standard text rates may apply. Two premier ABC hosts have have their own sorted past with blackface. While on another network, ABC's Jimmy Kimmel donned blackface to mock a former professional athlete using what many would consider a racist minstrel dialect. Furthermore, The View host Joy Behar recently had a photo emerge in which she was donning blackface as well at a party. Mr. Iger, with all of the pride that's quite clear to everyone in this room that the diversity that you place on Disney, the diversity of the characters in your films, I find it puzzling that the company seems okay with Kimmel and Behar's past racist actions and behaviors. Can you comment to us on their use of blackface and are they simply held to a different standard than politicians and newscasters because they're comedians? Um, we don't condone the use of blackface under any circumstances in our world today. And the specific incidents that you raised, we chose to deal with privately. We did not feel that it required any particular comment, and uh, nor do we have anything to say about what actions we may have taken in that regard. Oh, okay. C- can I have... When I, you know, do something that for other people would get them in a lot of trouble, I'd like to know if I can get it dealt with privately with no apparent detriment to my career. That sounds nice. That's the special liberal option, though. 
That's the Jimmy Kimmel, Joy Behar option. Doesn't extend to conservatives, I can assure you of that. Hypocrisy and double standards are essential to the left because they know. First of all, their standards change on this stuff all the time. What is racist? Who is racist? What is sexist? What are you allowed to say? You know what I found out recently was a, was a controversial opinion that I have, by the way? I had no idea. that I think, and I don't, I, I don't even have to make this just about women. You could say it's of both sexes. I think people overwhelmingly look better with their natural hair color. And I've said this to a few female friends because I know a lot of women like to do a lot of things to their hair. I think that people look their best with their nat- it go. There's a reason, right? The, the coloring, the eyebrows, the whole thing. And people think that I'm crazy for this, Mike. I don't know why. I don't know. I'm just, just a, this is like a controversial opinion that I apparently have in, in the realm of because today's you know International Women's Day, and is is this a sexist thing? If I say to all the ladies out there, I think the way God made you is the best way when it comes to your hair color. Overwhelmingly, not always. I mean, if you were born with green hair, maybe you want to like get a you know you want to deal with that. But overwhelmingly, it's the best way. And yet, I told a few ladies this, and they think that I'm. <laughs> You say to a liberal lady, of course, it's the most sexist thing in the world. Of course it is, right? <laughs> you I mean, say to a conservative lady, she's probably like, eh, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really amazing. You know, you, you know, on the one hand, you know, California, the perfect example of this, uh, Ryan Saavedra, who does great work over the Daily Wire, he tweeted this out today. California revoked the, I mean, this is how modern feminism is just completely disjointed. And it, it ties into this conversation about the hypocrisy and the double standards and no one knows what's okay. Everyone's just woke which is an excuse for just you're miserable and you're angry and you want to see other people get in trouble. You don't even know what the rules are. You just want to see other people, you know, being told they're terrible and you're one of the good people right? because you're a liberal and you're woke. But California got rid of a, uh, a bar, I know not what do you call it? A coffee bar, not a bar bar, uh, a coffee bar because the baristas were too scantily clad. And I saw some photos and yeah, they're, they're, Wave. They got a lot of business because they had very attractive, scantily clad women. And California shut that down because it was upsetting to people, because it was sexism. And I just think to myself, OK, so that the state is supposed to take take action on. You can't have just women being beautiful and selling coffee as a result of that is that is sexist. That is unacceptable. Meanwhile, California also wanted to make sure that if you give somebody HIV intentionally, you can't get in trouble for that. No need for state action there. I mean, these people are nuts. I mean, this is the, the real divide now. And maybe this is this is going to be recur- it is a recurring theme on the show. I'm just stuff. It's not even so much Democrat versus Republican or conservative versus liberal. It's really just crazy versus not crazy. Yeah. People that you can you can discuss things with and people that you can't because they see things through this lens of, of the the psychological pollution that the left has built up in their minds, they believe, speaking of pollution, they think the world's going to, if you think the world is going to end in 12 years, you're wrong. It's I so guarantee true, it. It's so true. You're wrong. Yeah. And, and it's not a smart position that you hold. I don't care how many scientists, you're wrong. But they, they think that I'm weird. You know, I'm, I'm, I keep saying, I want to get some of that big oil money. I wish that was an okay way to explain why I feel the way I do about this. Because I'd be walking around, John, I would be slapping my butler with $100 bills courtesy of Shell Oil if I could. I have no shame about that because I believe in fossil fuels. I believe in an advanced economy 
that has people that have, I don't know, heat in the winter and gas for their cars and things like that. So I, I just, I'd, I'd slap Jeeves around with all my fossil fuel money if I could. I don't have any, though. I just know the world's not ending in 12 years. All right, I know I've gotten off on a, on a tangent here. And uh, I, we started off talking about Jimmy Kimmel and Joy Behar and the way that they. But the point is the double standards. And it's not even we don't know what the standards are. It's worse than a double standard. Because it'd be one thing if they just said outright, and this goes also to my my definition of true tyranny is not laws that are strictly enforced. It's laws that are capriciously enforced, laws that are enforced ad hoc based on who you are. Oh, I don't know, like whether you're a Democrat or a Republican with regard to the special counsel and the DOJ and the FBI in recent years and political investigations that have happened. Right. That's what that that feels much more, much more tyrannical. But with the, the libs now. You know, Jimmy Kimmel faced he faced no punishment for what anyone else having done, even if it was 20 years ago. If you were a conservative or if you weren't a beloved left wing comedian, because you have to be left wing to be a comedian these days and be successful. They will not allow conservative comedians, any of the big platforms, any of the uh, the the stages that they offer up to deeply unfunny lib mouthpieces like uh, Sarah Silverman and others out there. What's the other? Who's the other uh, The female comedian who's just terrible? Amy Schumer. Yes, thank you. The worst. Just not funny. If she were funny, I'd be fine with it. She's not funny. But but they, they allow Jimmy Kimmel to get away with this because he's Jimmy Kimmel. Just like they allow Ilhan Omar to get away with all this because she's Ilhan Omar. And Joy, Joy Behar, hello. Bucks in New York now. Maybe we could have coffee and talk and snuggle. I don't know. Buck's kind of cute sometimes. He's got those dimples. Come here, you. You can sit next to me on The View. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That you Try try to remove that one from your memory, team. Joy Behar hitting on Buck in real time. You just heard that happen. You know, it could, it, it could be. I don't even know. Is she married? I don't even know. I have no idea. I'm yeah, probably, right? Probably is married with a bunch of kids. Who I have no idea. I don't know why she's on TV other than she sounds like this and she's very liberal. Um, where was I? Oh, we got to talk about this uh, big Democrat move in the House that's going nowhere. That's coming up. Oh, Buck, what are you drinking first thing in the morning every day? Wow, that's an easy question because it's the same thing every day. Black Rifle Coffee because it is delicious and also black rifle is a company that shares your values this is a this is a company that was founded by veterans of the special operations community they believe in freedom america and the most delicious roast to order coffee you're going to get anywhere join black rifles coffee club they make things easy you just pick your blend online the amount you want and black rifle will ship it right to your door every month hassle free i'm a member you should be a member too this is where i get my coffee and this is how i get it every month while liberals threaten to further tax your hard-earned money with their socialist agenda, Black Rifle Coffee is fueling the fight for freedom by upping their offer to 20% off. Take advantage by visiting blackriflecoffee.com buck and receive 20% off your entire order. That's blackriflecoffee.com buck for 20% off. Again, one more time, blackriflecoffee.com buck. To speak tonight on behalf of my amendment to H.R. 1, 
Throughout my life, I have abided by the mantra, we should never make assumptions about who desires to have a stakehold in and a seat at the table of our democracy. Since the days of abolitionists, suffragists, and civil rights activists, young people have been pushing the wheels of progress forward. These youth, our young people, who will inherit the nation we design here by virtue of our policies or by default of our policies and authority, these very same young people should also have a say in who represents them. For your consideration, Amendment number 127, which would lower the minimum voting age in federal elections from 18 to 16 years of age. 18 to 16, folks. That's what the libs are talking about now. That's Ayanna Presley. She's another one of these new members of Congress that's getting uh, a lot of attention at the national level. A lot of people are talking about her and what she's going to do you know, going forward for the Democratic Party. She's part of the left wing of it. But... They want younger kids to vote. I do have to say that this is kind of funny to me because we've heard so much for the last couple of years about the need to protect our institutions and the need for our sacred democracy to flourish. Also, let's have kids vote. Now, for those who will say, Buck, does an 18-year-old really know much more than a 16-year-old? I would say, actually, scientifically, the answer is yes. You're more likely to have your brain be fully formed. They can show that the minds of teenagers in particular are less able to process long-term consequences and that that kicks in further on in your, in your development. This, this, just, this is just hashtag science, John. It's for real. And this is why teenagers are, you know, tend to be more impulsive and, and have less impulse control. Uh, so that's a real thing. I would also just point out that, you know, we could do this game all day where it's, well, are you an adult at 21? Are you an adult at 37 when you're Ilhan Omar and Nancy Pelosi is saying, she doesn't really understand the words. Um, that was bad, Nancy. That, that, I know, Nancy was trying to help there, but she didn't help. Uh, are you an adult at 37? You know, are you an adult at 50? Are you an adult at 10? 18 is the line we draw for a lot of things, and it's just instructive about where the Democratic Party is going, that they're, they're not seeking to deal even with the, the population in America that is, is a voting age as it is. They're looking to import foreigners and to take kids and let them vote. That's the plan, to change who can vote instead of focusing on the debate such as it is in front of the, the voting age population. So I don't think this is going to go anywhere, but that doesn't, I could be wrong. They, they could decide that this is something they're really going to get into. And they also see all of the, all the numbers on how young people, there's a particular, uh, a, a particularly strong advantage that the left has, the far left has among, what do we call, what are, Younger than millennials now, right? I mean, if you're born post 2000, you're not a millennial, right? You're a you're a tadpole. What are you? What do we call you? Is this this got to be some kind of a cool name? Is it Z? Generation Z? I mean, I, I could take that. I don't know. Regardless, if you are uh, of that age, chances are you're very liberal or uh, very likely. And this is where I love it when I get people listen to show who are college age and like Buck, but. Some of us are still conservative. I'm like, thank God for you guys and gals. Otherwise, we'd really be in trouble. I know, I know they're out there, but there's still this numerical advantage to the left uh, when it comes to people who are um, 
of a certain, you know, under the under the age of thirty in particular. Under, I think millennials now are the largest, uh, the largest cohort in the United States. I think there's more millennials than boomers now, uh, and I think that millennials have a particularly high skew toward the left. Anyway, they're trying to change the game here, folks. No surprise. Trying to see if they can get sixteen-year-olds to vote, and uh, this just reminds me of that still surreal conversation with the activist, the national level activist who uh, from the sunshine or sunrise sunshine, I think sunshine or I forget who's training kids to go and walk into the offices of members of Congress to tell them what they should do about climate change and other incredibly complicated political policy issues, right? That, and I was like, should 10 year olds vote? She wasn't sure about that one. I should have said, John, should five-year-olds be able to vote? Because I still think she would have done the, I don't know. You know? So we'd have the, like, Google Gaga, like, pulling levers and stuff, like, walking in four or five years old. But libs love this stuff. They also like to play the game where they'll say, yeah, like, I'm just so upset about the latest thing that Trump said because my seven-year-old liberal journalists with blue checks do this all the time. It's ever knows. It's now become a, a big joke. It's It's its own meme factory. But my seven-year-old came in and was like, why is it that, like, the Trump administration just completely negates cisgender politics and the self-actualization of all of the oppression theory that I'm being taught by watching MSNBC every night? But, Buck, they're sentient beings. They are sentient beings. That's true, Mike. They may be seven, but they're sentient beings. Look, for libs, it's just all... You know, can you get all the sheep bleeding and going in the same direction? And then, unfortunately, in this country, if you listen to the far left, it's not going to be sheep. We're all going to be lemmings because we're all going to go off the cliff together. I'd rather that not happen. I would prefer that that not be the direction of the country. But unfortunately, I can't necessarily um, tell you for sure that that's not where we're going anymore. I mean, Thomas Sowell's words there were particularly... Haunting that he's not he's not sure that we're not going to collapse because of socialism. He can't he can't make Thomas Sowell's a very smart guy. He's like, I can't make you any promises. We, we may be going that way. Um, by the way, what is this voting? Mike, what's this voting rights bill with Pelosi and McCarthy? I don't even see this one. This one just came up on the radar here. What yeah, is it's something that they're talking about this afternoon. It's, it's going to be DOA when it gets to the Senate floor. But they had an interesting back and forth today this afternoon. Hmm. All right. Let's play it. Let's let everyone hear it. So the Senate, as you receive this bill, you will also be receiving uh, the uh, aspirations, the mobilizations, the persistence, the relentlessness of the American people to have government work for them, for the people. So this is a fight we're engaged in. I do not believe this bill is going to go anywhere. But the really sad part about this this is the, def- the definition of the Democratic New Party, that this is their number one bill. This is their most important bill because they chose what number to give it. We chose to give taxpayers, make sure they get able to keep more of their own money. They chose to take more of the taxpayer money and give it to themselves as politicians. Ah, now, now, I, now I know what we're talking about here. I was like, wait a second. What is this? Oh, this is the, the Democrats nonsense anti-corruption voting rights bill that they're passing. This is what the New York Times said about that. The House passed the Democrats' showcase. Woo! Anti-corruption voting rights legislation. It's dead in the Senate, so this is all just for show. 
an expansive measure that aims to dismantle barriers to the ballot box and big money in politics and impose stricter ethics rules on federal officials. The legislation passed 234 to 193 in the House. It makes good on the campaign pledge to clean up Washington that helped catapult Democrats into the majority. Isn't this, Mike, this is a fantastic example of of how the New York Times does New York Times stuff. Just the passage of this legislation that will never be a law and that will do nothing, quote, makes good on the campaign pledge. That's all they have to do. That's all they got to do. I mean, would you ever see Republicans pass a bill in the House that does not be doesn't even make doesn't even get a vote in the Senate is dead on arrival in the Senate does not become law does not get signed by the president. That's making good on a campaign promise because they've cleaned it up. No, they've done a show vote to show vote. That means nothing. I don't think that cleans up anything, man. You know, it's like when I've cooked and the dishes are all over because I cook. I cook. I'm a messy messy cook because like when i'm in the zone right whatever needs to happen you know there's going to be some kitchen casualties like there's going to be some glasses that get maybe knocked over there's grease everywhere i mean it looks like it looks like there was a there was a a fight going on and i I look at it i'm like maybe if i like watch my show or hang out i come back in an hour to the kitchen it's going to be better false it is still a mess and this is this is that that's how they've made good on their campaign promise. Yeah, Dems want it messy, man. They can't keep it clean because if it's uh, if it gets cleaned up, you start seeing them for what they really are. Well, I, I love that Ocasio Cortez miss. I just I just want to get like all the money out of politics, except for your like multimillionaire chief of staff boyfriend guy who is hiding millions of dollars in this shell game, which may be legal. But even people that are totally in the tank for Ocasio-Cortez are calling this a creative structure to evade scrutiny. I'm the boss. How about that? Exactly, dude. Exactly. She thinks she's the boss. All right, we're going to get into some roll call action, everybody. Stay with me. Hey, Team Buck. It's time for Roll Call. Time for the Roll Call, everybody. Here in New York City. Very exciting. John, I heard from at least two very disturbed people screaming outside of Penn Station today. So I knew that I was home. They were yelling and cursing about something. I don't know if they were in a fight or if they just were happy to see each other or something there were there were something going on, and I was like, "This is home. This is New York. Now, now we're here." I almost got hit by a delivery guy on a bicycle when I was trying to get in my taxi. Again, that's when you know you reach the promised land. All right, uh, Facebook.com/slash Buck Sexton. If you want to have your thoughts read aloud, so people can hear them coast to coast, which is oh so fun. And it's also, by the way, the t- the uh, the name of a. From what I understand, very excellent radio show also on this uh, network later on at night. So that's fun. Um, All righty. Now we have Julio up first. Buck, this may cost a few officers some disciplinary action for stopping for food thanks to a sanctuary sanctuary liberal city. The story is about a panic in a New York City high school when immigration officials. Hold on. What is this one? Uh, immigration agents on the sidewalk, but they just wanted lunch. Oh, so people freaked out because they saw immigration officials from ICE and they thought they must be coming to do bad things because ICE is supposed to be so scary and mean and evil, but they were actually just getting a sandwich. 
Just getting a sandwich, folks. That's enough for the libs to freak out when you have somebody who shows up and seems like they work for Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. Oh, my. Tom writes, Buck, if I were Christopher Ray, I would have the local office of Minneapolis investigating the Democrat Farmers Labor Party. So far, they provided us with Keith Ellison, Amy Klobuchar, and Ilhan Omar. All the hype about socialism and communism is primarily directed at California, Illinois, and New York. Maybe the media should be looking at Minnesota as a possible home camp for radical Muslims and socialists. Just a thought. Thomas, you know, Minnesota is more liberal than I would have guessed. Turns out Minnesota is pretty liberal. Uh, They put Al Franken in office. Apparently he wasn't good enough and smart enough and gosh darn it. They didn't like him enough, though, because he got tossed. Minnesota is pretty progressive. I feel like it's probably even more blue than Wisconsin, right? In the last election, Minnesota went straight up blue. Wisconsin, obviously, was Trump victory. Trump victory state. So that's very fun. Good things to know. Casey. Hey, Buck, there's something I just don't understand that I'd really like you to break down. You said the Dems will impeach 45. And what I want to know is how can this be possible? And wouldn't that have to get past the Supreme Court? And because of that, wouldn't it be considered unconstitutional? Once again, I do not fully understand, so I'm not accurate on this. Please shed some light. Thanks, Casey from Marine Corps, Shields Eye. Well, Casey, first off, thanks for your service, sir. Appreciate it. As to uh, whether the Democrats can impeach, no, the Democrats absolutely can impeach the president. It's a pretty straightforward process. There's rep- there's a procedure in the House of Representatives, and they have majority vote uh, majority votes if they all stand together on this, which I'm sure they will. They won't go forward with it otherwise. Um, and they will impeach the president. Removal is the part of it that is a much higher bar. That's where you need two-thirds of the Senate for the president to be removed from office. And unless it turns out that that Trump is, in fact, a uh, speaking Russian in the wee hours of the morning to his, his handler who is transmitting things to Vladimir back in Moscow, uh, then there's no reasonable person, I think, who would tell you that the president is in any danger of being removed from office. So impeachment is is kind of like a big glorified version of what we just saw with Ilhan Omar this week, which is impeachment just then turns into a a vote of disapproval. You know, it's a it's a resolution that does not actually have any teeth to it. And so that's what happened to Bill Clinton, by the way. The Senate did not remove him from office. As you know, Bill Clinton finished his eight years in office, much to uh, the chagrin of many people that thought that he should have been gone. Nicholas writes, Buck, keep doing what you're doing. You are a voice of sanity and reason in the wasteland of social media, and your show is a daily dose of assurance. There are some folks out there in the media that do care about the truth. Thank you for emerging. Well, I try to emerge. Appreciate that. And giving us all another voice of reason in the slot that was formerly occupied by a rhino. <laughs> uh, Megan's a friend. Um, you are saving our sanity, sir. Uh, well, Nicholas, man, thank you so much for, for writing in. And thanks for joining Team Buck and for listening to the show. And it, it means a lot. Grace. Grace, here you are. I just made the. Oh, see, guys, when you send me links. Some... OK, here we go. Thank you for getting to my question the other night. I've tried calling in and emailing with no success over the years. 
I've commandeered my wife's Facebook account, and that was the answer. I heard you voice the question David Harsanyi last night that puzzled me for years. Why are American Jews so predisposed to politics that counter Judeo-Christian values? Found the answer to this question in a history podcast recommended by Jocko Willink about the history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Martyr made by Daryl Martyr made by Daryl Cooper. The series is Fear and Loathing in the New Jerusalem. Huh. I have no idea what this is. Cooper does a great job of following the proven style and model of Dan Carlin's uh, hardcore history. The only way he comes up short is he fails to cite his material as frequently as Carlin. One of the 50-plus books he draws from is A Century of Ambivalence, The Jews of Russia and the Soviet Union, 1881 to Present. Uh, the podcast is phenomenal. Here are some links from Garrett. Martyr, oh, MartyrMade.com is the site he's talking about. I've never heard of this, seen this. Mike, you ever? I don't, I don't know what that is, but sounds interesting. Thanks for educating me on the subject. Appreciate it very much. Um, I haven't listened. Does Dan Carlin still do any? Has he done any new podcasts recently? The problem with podcasts these days is that everybody has a podcast, including people that really, really shouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> the problem with podcasting is that people are like, hello, and uh, welcome to my podcast where we're going to talk about the best way to take your lawn mulch and distribute it evenly across your front lawn. Uh, now, look. We got free speech. Anybody can do a podcast, whatever they want. But now you've got everybody, including news anchors who are used to just reading off a prompters like, I'm just going to read whatever's there. Now I'm going to do a podcast. But guys, guess what? It's harder when you don't just read. I do both of these things. I read from prompters, but I also talk for three hours. Talks for three hours. Try that sometime. You don't have that one? You don't. Come on. You got to have that one ready. You got to have that one ready. I'm begging for a drop there, John. Got nothing for me. All right. David writes, uh, Buck Shields High, podcast listener. Speaking of podcasts, podcast listener, catching up on episodes. The best ice cream flavor is cookies and cream, and country music is the new rock. Check out Brothers Osborne, Luke Combs, Darius Rucker from Hootie and the Blowfish, and Aaron Lewis, the guy from Stain. Yeah, he's country now. I didn't know that. I didn't know Aaron Lewis went to Stain. Also, Thomas... Soul is probably right, but we know how Liberty will die with thunderous applause. Um, a lot, a lot here, by the way. Cookies and cream, let me just say, is delicious, but I can't eat it because the cookies have gluten in them. I've yet to find gluten-free cookies and cream ice cream. I might have to make my 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 own at some point. Probably wouldn't be hard, right? Cookie dough, vanilla ice cream, isn't that all it is? Do they really infuse the cookie dough flavor into the ice cream, or is it just cookie dough chunks in vanilla ice cream? Think about think on that one, Mike. This is a uh, John. I don't know if you have an opinion, but that's a that's a that's a real thing that we should all be aware of. I, I would also just point out that I still stand behind pistachio is the best flavor, but I will tell you that when I when I have an excuse to have any kind of Nutella ice cream, which I remember in in, in Italy doing that a lot, I will go Nutella on anything though. I will eat the sole of my sweaty little moccasin. If it's covered in Nutella, as any person would, because it's the most delicious thing ever made. You need to get on that Neapolitan ice cream. That's really, is it good? It's outstanding. You get after it, yeah. Smother it in Nutella, and there you yeah, go. I probably change. I'm very hungry, by the way, right now. As soon as we finish this show, I'm running over and stuffing my face with things. Uh, what else do we have in this one that I wanted to get to? Oh, yeah. So I was at the Trump with some friends, The Trump, which is how people refer to the Trump International Hotel in D.C. It's where all the conservatives hang out. It's pretty amazing, actually. There's two places where you can find... 
a congregation of conservatives. Yeah, Capitol Hill, obviously, but they're mixed in with all the libs and the Democrats. If you just want a place where you're going to be surrounded with most likely uh, friendlies, there's at this point the White House, Trump International Hotel. I know libs, Mike, who won't even go there. They don't get when there's a reception there or there's any kind of a party. They won't go there. But Trump International, I ordered the French fries. It was a little late. We've been at a party. The Daily Caller had a, an event for freshmen, members of Congress. And all I wanted were French fries. And sure enough, I, I take my first bite of a French fry there and taste very good. But I realized I bite into it. I was like, oh, my gosh. They, you look at it. They flour their French fries there. And the waiter, the waiter, uh, the server, pardon me, came over. And I said, hey, do you guys, do you guys flour your French fries? And he said, uh, I'm 90% sure we do not flour our French fries. And I looked at it and I said, well, I have to pay attention to this because I have celiac disease. So uh, could you just ask the kitchen? And sure enough, he comes back after saying he's 90% sure that they don't. And he's like, yes, these French fries are all dredged in flour before they are deep fried. And I was like, I had a feeling. Um, but you know what's in, why this is important, Producer Mike? The reason they do that is because the fries stick together because they're brought in from the outside. So whenever you find a restaurant, important safety tip, that has uh, French fries that are floured beforehand, it's very likely that that's because they're being brought in pre-made from the outside because they're too lazy to hand-cut their own darn fries, Mike. I'm surprised the Trumpster doesn't have them dusted in gold there. I totally agree with you, and John obviously loved that, so that that is true. But it was disappointing to me, man. French fries are not hard. If you've got a deep fryer... Take some potatoes, cut them up. This is ridiculous. Gave me a little bit of a tum-tum ache. All right, we're going to get into more roll call in a second. Stay with me. Irene, every time I say or hear that name, I think of Black Hawk Down when they say code word, Irene. That's like the go thing. And then also remember limo. Limo is a word in common usage. Remember that? Yeah. Irene writes, so enjoying you here in Eastern Tennessee. Thank you for keeping us up to date. Well, Irene, thank you so much for writing in. I I hope you uh, really enjoy the show, get something out of it every time you listen to it. We certainly put our heart and soul into it every day here in the Freedom Hunt. So thank you so much for uh, being a part of it and uh, welcome. And we're honored to have you. Valerie, I was hoping for a list of books. The Matt Coyle series I am reading, albeit entertaining, may not make me well-read. Oh, okay. So this is in response. I, I wrote back to Valerie, and I should include that. Valerie wrote, you frequently refer to being well-read. What do you believe would make one well-read? And uh, I responded, uh, reading a lot as a way of life is being well-read. I mean, I don't think that there's such thing. There's so much out there in terms of uh, books in, in the English language alone, never mind if you start adding in all the different great works that can be translated or have been translated into English. Uh, but when I say someone is well-read, it really is just the habit of the habit of reading. Is somebody in the habit of reading as a major part of their life? It's a really important thing. I think it's uh, among the most, probably the most important academic skill that, that kids and as they grow up into uh, adulthood can have. Do they enjoy the process of reading? Do they think that it's worth their time? Do they make time to read? Uh, it's essential. It's absolutely so. When I say well read, it's not. Oh, have you read the? Have you read all of the essays by Ernest Hemingway, circa blah blah blah? No, it's not that. I know people will say it that way. When I say someone's well read, I really mean have they read a lot because they're in the habit of always reading. That's my definition of what a well read person is. Um, and it can be, 
you know, on any number of subjects. People usually have areas of greater interest or expertise. But are you a person who reads a lot? Do you like to borrow somebody else's mind through the reading of the words that they have written? It's a very, very good thing. Ashley writes, Austin is cool. It's a very funky, unique city. She must be one of our KLBJ folks. However, if you do make it to Austin during your El Paso trip, consider traveling an hour or two outside the city. We are nice folks, and it's wildflower season. Though I doubt you will, because I recognize and appreciate your constant hustle. I've listened to you for a long time, and I love to follow your success, though I really miss your random history lessons. They were my favorite. Shields High, Ash in Lee County, Texas. Well, Ash, uh, first of all, thank you so much for your note, and I really do want to get to Austin soon. That's not just that's not just lip service. And as for the history lessons, uh, I want to bring them back. I just I, ever since I took the job at the Hill, there's just been I've had no time whatsoever to to pull together to do that. So that's why it's been a little bit of a uh, it has been a, a challenge. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to do it and and will not possibly bring it back in the future. And I'm really glad you enjoy them. And the good news about them is. You know, they're worth listening to. The the older ones are worth listening to, even if you haven't gotten them before. Steve, if we can send people in to take out bin Laden in a foreign country because he killed 3,000 people, why can't we send people into countries to take out cartel leaders who kill tens of thousands? Great show, by the way. Thank you for it, Steve. Well, Steve, I can answer this question for you, I think, in a way that might surprise you, but it's it's important, and that is that the... History of taking down cartel leadership, whether it is the Jalisco uh, Nuevo Generation cartel, the Sinaloa cartel, the Zetas, who are actually a splinter faction of the Gulf cartel, uh, the Bertrand Levia cartel, all these different cartels. The history of them tells us that when the leadership gets taken out, there's often an increase in violence and no decrease or noticeable decrease in the drug trade. Because the leadership structure that's in place does have some, there's still a lot of violence in Mexico with the cartels, but there's some uh, ability to govern that violence, you know, in the in the underworld. And once you have somebody like a Chapo Guzman gone, that's a perfect example. He was the leader of the Sinaloa cartel, the most powerful drug lord in the world. He's now sitting in a U.S. federal penitentiary for the rest of his life. And guess what? Mexico last year had its most violent year in or maybe the year before, in history. The violence is out of control. So taking out leadership, whether it's Bin Laden or uh, El Chapo, it's satisfying to people, but it does not always have the intended effect. That's going to be it for this Friday edition of the Buck Saxon Show from New York City. I'm going to go wander around, maybe buy a couple of touristy I Heart New York t-shirts, you know, do all that stuff. Maybe go to the Statue of Liberty, I don't know. Maybe go to Home Depot, I don't know if I've got enough time. Everybody have a great weekend. I'll be talking to you on Monday from the swamp. See you then. Shield tie. Global Verification Network is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company out there, folks. I know the CEO personally. He's a friend and he is all about making sure that when you use global verification for your background checks, you are getting the best customer service. You are getting a program that is tailored to your needs. So whatever size your company, whatever industry you are in, if you're the CEO or if you're the head of HR or you're just somebody who wants to help out the company, you should reach out to Global Verification Network. Make sure they're the ones doing your background checks. If you've got somebody already doing them, Global can do them better and cheaper and more efficiently, and they do it all here in the States. 
So go check them out for yourself, okay? Call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. Or go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com.